The ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Tuesday edition of the Demo Tape Podcast. Hope everybody out there, you know, is uh, doing their thing, staying positive, staying focused, handling their business. Got an interesting show for you today. Talk about R. Kelly. He's back in the news. Uh, for those that don't that don't know, I'm sure most of you already know, he got arrested on federal porn, child pornography charges. So I'm going to talk about that because, whoa. Uh, then we're going to talk about NBA because I just love to talk about NBA. And I think the NBA is the best thing going right now. I saw something on Twitter where they said that the, the top 10 rated things on uh, in America, sporting events, have all been NFL games. And all that's cool for now. I mean, for now, it's NFL games. That's cool. But the NBA is coming, and I'm excited because I love the NBA. I'm talking about the NBA. Uh, we're talking about Houston Rockets, Russell Westbrook getting traded Thursday night to the Houston Rockets and James Harden and how that all breaks down. And if Houston does have a problem, what is Houston's problem. We're gonna, I'm going to discuss that. What is Houston's problem? Is it Russell Westbrook? Is it James Harden? Or is it something else? Talk about that. Uh, and then we'll discuss usage rate as well in conjunction with talking about the James Harden, Russell Westbrook uh, duo that has now been formed in Houston. Talk about what usage rate is, what it means, uh, what it indicates, a little bit about it because I, I, I don't know how many... Uh, the casual basketball fan understands when, when they see usage rate. I mean, yeah, they talk about it on the shows and they say that they, they talk about it in such a way. But there are some uh, interesting historical uh, facts about usage rate that might surprise you, even about some of your favorite players or about some teams that you may not have known or things of that nature. So it'll put some context behind the Russell Westbrook, James Harden uh, fear mongering about how they will play together, I'll say. We're talking about the end of an era in OKC as well. Kind of shocking how that has all unfolded from the early days of James Harden and Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant to now Chris Paul. <laughs> like, yo, fascinating. So I want to discuss that a little bit too. All right. But before I do that, I want to thank everybody who's out there, who's been listening, um, supporting, um, sharing on their pages what I'm doing over here I appreciate the love thank you very much uh, if you're brand new to the podcast this is what we do I talk about sports I talk about real life events I talk about occasionally I talk about politics so if you're into that type of thing uh, that I'm your guy go ahead and subscribe uh, you can find me on YouTube Google Play Stitcher and Apple if you have an iPad iPod which, I mean an iPhone which they say over 80% of people do Go ahead and go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to your boy. Also, leave me a comment. Let me know how I'm doing. Um, somebody said that the music sometimes is a little bit too loud, so I'm trying to adjust it because I need the music for background. And so I just want to make sure that I'm producing a quality product. So make sure that after you listen, drop a comment and let me know how I'm doing and any areas that you think I'm doing well or any areas you can see I could grow, all comments are welcome. And with that, start with R. Kelly. So R. Kelly has been arrested uh, while he's he was on trial again for some sexual alleged sexual stuff in Chicago, then he goes and now the feds was on him, I guess, and doing an investigation and they uncovered some child porn that and some child pornography evidence, some videos of him and women. Uh, very disturbing stuff. His lawyer said that most of the stuff that they think that they have is old. He's already been acquitted of it, but it's like it's the feds, man. And once the feds start getting involved. They have such a high conviction rate 
Like I think it's like 90 something percent. I don't know the exact numbers. We can Google it ourselves. We all have phones. You can Google it yourself. But it's in the high 90s, their conviction rate. So when the feds get on you, you know, Michael Vick, when, when he caught his fed charge, he was kind of saying sort of the same thing. Oh, no, you know, I'll be all right. Like, nah, you're not going to be all right, dog, when the feds get on. So there's something to this with this R. Kelly thing. And so um, I want to first re-clarify my stance on it. And then I want to, you know, talk about some of the things that I see with the way that we discuss it and on a societal perspective because it kind of is very interesting to me as far as um, who we decide to tear down and take down their legacy and who we decide to uh, ignore it. I guess there's some level of consistency, but I kind of um, have a hard time with it. So, But my stance on the whole R. Kelly thing has always been and will always be um, he's obviously a disturbed man, no doubt about that, because his history would indicate so. I think there's been a lot of people around him who enable him to do what he does. Um, I think, and I think they're as much as at fault for what has transpired uh, in his life and in the lives of other uh, little women, young women, I'm sorry, I said little women, young women. And so uh, I think obviously R. Kelly needs help. I think R. Kelly, yeah. I mean, obviously if he's guilty of all these things, then I think he should be under the jail. I'm not against that. Um, my only issue with uh, R. Kelly, the way that we discuss R. Kelly is as far as his music and i think there does need to be a healthy separation of music and art because i don't believe in uh throwing out the baby with the bathwater. and because i think and also because it's a these days i think it's a very uh, knee-jerk reaction right because nobody was thinking about r kelly before the surviving r kelly documentary comes out and then all of a sudden everybody's like okay they turn against r kelly and it's me r kelly and it's like but nobody was thinking about him now jeffrey epstein the billionaire dude he just now he just got caught up with his stuff and he's been doing it for years and a lot of people have been visiting his private island but you don't hear about that but you're hearing about r kelly year after year after year after year and they're coming up with charges allegedly his his r kelly's lawyer saying that this is stuff that is old so whatever that means if he ends up being acquitted of this i mean dude my thing is it's, it's hard to discuss r kelly because there isn't and there isn't a conviction because if it's a conviction, you can easily say he did it. And my thing with the whole, well, my thing with the whole R. Kelly thing as well is, while I do think that he's a disturbed man, I do think he likes young women. Um, I don't have yet to see, even though the feds now say they have it, any damning evidence to prove that he's like some sicko dude. I mean, yeah, there's women saying stuff on a documentary. Like that is not, in my opinion, that's not enough credible evidence to convict a man who's already been acquitted of said charge now people can have issues with why he was acquitted back in the early uh, 2000s on those um you know child pornography charges back then well you got issue with that but the fact of the matter is he was acquitted and that does have to be taken into account i do think he's disturbed i do think he has a lot of people around him that enable him and i do think uh, a lot of the attention he's getting now is coming from somewhere that i don't understand because r kelly was not even on our radar when it came on to when all this Me Too stuff really started hitting, R. Kelly kind of wasn't there because he had already been through his stuff. But it's a weird, it's a weird type of uh, circumstance that's happened that has befallen R. Kelly since the turn of the year when the R when the documentaries come out. He's been arrested twice on bail for child for uh, not paying child support. Then gets arrested for the charges up in Chicago. Now he's facing federal charges. It's been very interesting. Um, turn of events for him when, like I said before, nobody was really worried about him. And then the whole issue of not listening to his music anymore, which I personally find very disingenuous. 
because I then the question goes into my mind when somebody's like, oh, I'm boycotting R. Kelly's music, and I do radio, so I've heard people do say this. So it's like I'm boycotting his music, and it's like, well, how much R. Kelly music did you listen to before? Because I like R. Kelly's some of R. Kelly's music. Like I think Chocolate Factory was a good album. I think the R album was pretty good. I think um, he's got some good songs that I like. So it's like, but I don't bump R. Kelly all the time to when something comes out saying that he might be, you know, into child porn or keeping women locked up in rooms and doing, making them submit to him in weird uh, ways. It doesn't, it doesn't move me to say I'm throwing all his music away. Now, when Kanye West was wearing the Trump hat, see, I listened to Kanye. So that's why I would say to those people, do you, how much R. Kelly do you listen to or are you just reacting to the scenario? Because if you're just reacting to the scenario, well, then you should be asking more questions and just your, your anger shouldn't immediately turn to, I don't want to hear his music anymore. I don't feel I don't feel like that should be your pivot. Your pivot should be, yo, where was the mama? Where was R. Kelly's mama? Like, where was, where, who was, yo, where were the adults? Like, while this was happening, that should be your, your next pivot. And I feel like if your ultimate pivot upon finding out that R. Kelly may have, you know, allegedly has done some, you know, terrible things to women, then I think for you to pivot and say I'm boycotting his music is very, I don't know, short-sighted, immature, just a bit. And missing the entire point because it's like, are you reacting to just knowledge of the issue, or are you treating the issue as a as a as a living, breathing thing that it is that really affects people? When you when you do, when you do things like that, and maybe I'm looking at it too deep, but I do have a, a very um, critical eye for things like this because I feel like a lot of people just posture, and when, when you find out R. Kelly gets, uh, you watch an R. Kelly documentary and it makes you angry. You're like, oh, I'm muting R. Kelly. And you're just joining a movement. But it's like, dang, like, are you really processing and are you really caring about the issue, like, and trying to get the issue out at its root? Because there's a root. R. Kelly is the tree, and then there's a root that allows the tree to eat and do what it does and get the nutrients and all that. And and R. Kelly was getting the women because people were enabling him. And there was a lot of things around him and a lot of parents who did some unsavory things just to say, to just to put it in a word. That put them children in some unfavorable situations. And I think that if you really, truly care about R. Kelly and, I mean, what R. Kelly was doing to those young women, then your anger should be more directed at the people around the young women and the people around R. Kelly and not just pivoting towards, I'm not listening to his music because his music is not doing anything per se. So I think, I don't know. I think that's that's the only way you feel like you have power over the situation, I guess. You know, you have consumer, as a consumer, you do have power, but I don't know. I think it's very childish. I think most of it is um, us just trying to make sh- show people that we care about something or we care about somebody. And most of it is unnecessary because, I mean, most people are appalled at the idea of rape. It doesn't, I don't need you, I don't need people to make uh, unnecessary, uh, futile gestures of not listening to an artist's music simply because uh, he may be, in fact, a child predator. But anyway. Um, yeah, R. Kelly, dude is out of here. He's been out of here. Um, I find it very interesting that, that, that how we handle it. Like I said before, um, we don't want to listen to his music, but we laugh at Chappelle's show skit when he's talking about pee on you. And to a certain degree, we kind of laugh at some of the jokes and the uh, animations or the, the what happened in the Boondocks episode about R. Kelly. And I would say, you know, giving the Boondocks a bit of a pass because it kind of, you know, was just trying to speak to a higher issue. Dave Chappelle was just making jokes. And 
Like we laugh at that, but then you turn around when he, his name, R. Kelly's name, hits the news again and say, "Well, I'm not listening to his music." It's just I don't know. We laugh at certain things, and, and when, R, when he's making, when he's pretending to be R. Kelly and making songs about peeing on, he's talking about peeing on the girl. The girl was supposed to be underage. I don't know. It's just a funny connection. It's just funny ways we can disconnect from certain things and connect to other things. Somehow, his music, R. Kelly's music, is the connection point to where people feel like when they're cutting him off. They have to cut him off. And I'm just, like I said, once again, my question still remains, how much R. Kelly or any of us really really listening to anyway before, you know, his sexual deviance re- resurfaced into our consciousness? You know, like, you, I don't, I don't know. And if you were listening to R. Kelly, I'm pretty sure you're going to continue to listen to R. Kelly because you like R. Kelly. And just because he's a weirdo, you're not going to, it's not going to change the fact that he's a musical genius to a certain degree and an excellent songwriter. And I think those things should be, you know, taken into account. You know, when you when you admire somebody, you should admire them for what they do, not necessarily who they are, especially when you don't know who they are. We don't know. You never knew who R. Kelly was. So uh, I'm, I don't really listen to R. Kelly's music. If uh, I feel like listening to an R. Kelly song, I'm going to listen to it. And I'm not going to be appalled at the idea of hearing R. Kelly on a hook because it doesn't, appall- it doesn't you know, what he does appalls me, his music doesn't. And so that's kind of where I leave it. Um, I think if if everything everyone has said about him and his past is true, then he's getting what he deserves. And I'll leave it at that. <sighs> Moving on to something more light. Some NBA. Talk about the fun stuff. We get all the serious stuff away at the very beginning of the show. Excuse me a second. <clears throat> I just want to say thank God for the NBA, man. Because normally when the NBA season would end, there would be this lull in the middle of it. And there'd be nothing but baseball. And no disrespect to baseball, because I like baseball. I think baseball is a beautiful game. I think baseball is a very, it takes a lot of skill and athleticism, believe it or not, to be a great baseball player that I think a lot of people underestimate because they see guys with guts sometimes. And those are sometimes, but your you're, you're really good baseball players are pretty good athletes. Uh, and But baseball in July, in June, August, doesn't do it for me. Maybe if I was going to more games, I haven't been to a game, but if I was going to more games... I need more. I need my baseball in October. That's when baseball gets really good. So when, when the NBA and before NFL training camp opens up, there will be this lull, kind of sort of. But the NBA has taken and filled that lull, and they're getting us right up to NFL training camp, and I love it. And they might even take us through NFL training camp because the NBA, hey man, you never let it. It's uh, full of surprises. And with that being said, Russell Westbrook was traded to the Houston Rockets Thursday night, and as I sat there and I saw the trade go down, I was like, yo. I didn't think anybody could do it. I didn't think anybody would do it because I listen, I watch a lot of sports, uh, the sports talk shows, and those guys, I realize, they don't know what they're talking about because they say stuff. Well, not I ain't going to say all of them. Some of them are really good, and some of them aren't very good. And they put opinions and ideas out there, like with the whole Kawhi thing. Everybody was saying, that, oh, hey, Kawhi's, going, Kawhi's not going to the Clippers. They didn't say Kawhi's not going to the Clippers because he didn't have a second star. They didn't say that. If I'm not mistaken, a lot of them were saying the Clippers. Oh, well, I guess that's what they were saying. Yeah, the Clippers are out because they didn't have a second star. But my point is, they were saying he's not going to the Clippers. The Clippers are out. The Clippers are out. The Clippers are out. And then he went to the Clippers. And then they say nobody's going to take Chris Paul's trade. You wouldn't trade Westbrook for Chris Paul. Nobody would take. And then the Rockets traded Chris Paul. So it's like, man, the NBA is either very unpredictable or the guys who talk about sports on Fox News and sometimes ESPN don't know what they're talking about all of the time. Most of the time they do, but not all of the time. Because somebody did, in fact, take Chris Paul's contract, and Russell Westbrook is now a Houston Rocket. And the fear-mongering and the 
you know, bells start going off about it's not a basketball fit. It's not a basketball fit. How are these guys going to play together? How are these guys going to play together? It's not enough basketball. It's not enough shots. And it's like, dude, without any context, without any type of, what am I trying to say? Without any type of, well, let's really think about this here. It was just a reaction. And I didn't like it. Everybody was saying how much they couldn't play together. And I'm thinking, well, why can't they play together? They're on the same team. They're both high usage rate guys. Okay, well, I started looking at what usage rate was. Usage rate, according to basketball reference, is the amount of offensive plays that a, that, a, that a player uses. I take that to mean, because that's a very vague definition of what, of usage. So I take, I'm take i going to take that to mean anytime you either shoot a shot or assist. And so you look throughout the history, obviously Michael Jordan has the highest usage rate in NBA history. Russell Westbrook is second. Uh, that's crazy to think about. but And, and that's what scares people because like, oh, Russell Westbrook, look at that. He's second in usage. And yes, yes, he is second in usage. Um, then I think Kobe Bryant's third in usage. So, just to set the stage for a little bit for what I'm just to paint a picture here of what I'm of what I'm trying to get at. Top five guys in usage this year were James Harden. He had a 40.5. Now keep in mind, James Harden had the 40.5 this year, and that means he took 40% of the offensive uh, shots or assists while he was on the floor. It's James Harden. Joel Embiid is number two in the league in usage, and he missed a lot of games. Devin Booker. Lou Williams might surprise you. Six man of the year, top five in usage, and Giannis, league MVP. So basically, to kind of tone down a lot of the fear about what usage actually is, because I don't know why it's such a bad thing. Usage, usually, your best basketball players have a higher usage rate. Usually. On a more well-balanced team, you're going to have a more uh, plurality, I guess you could say, of usage rate percentages. Guys are going to be it's gonna be more evenly spread out. And guys are going to be able to get more shots on an evenly based team. So, when you're looking at, I looked, I went, and I went to Basketball Reference. I pulled up the last, what, five seasons of Russell Westbrook, James Harden usage. Russell Westbrook's usage since his MVP season has fallen. So, it was 41.7 in the 16-17 season. 17-18 season, it was 34.1. And the 18-19 season, it was 30.9. Keep Okay, so the MVP season that he had was... The first year after KD. So that would make sense why he would take a lot of shots. Because who was he playing with? Can anybody remind me who was he playing with? That would that would take shots. I think he was playing with Oladipo. And a lot of things. And one thing I want to say. and Because I'm kind of defending Westbrook on this. People like to say like, oh, this guy plays better without Westbrook. And it's like, when you look at a guy like Oladipo. I mean, Oladipo. Is it like, KD played well with Westbrook in my opinion. Paul George played well with Westbrook in my opinion. So Oladipo didn't play well with Westbrook. So that means Westbrook doesn't play well with guys. Like, I don't understand how Westbrook got that charge. But Oladipo was gone. Paul George got there. He gave way to Paul George this past season. His, his usage rate declined 30, 30.9. James Harden's usage rate since he's been in Houston, because that's, the, that's what I did when he first got to Houston, has, slowly, has increased over the years. Now, I asked the same question. Who, who besides James Harden, who, do, who on James Harden's team can do the things that James Harden can do to what James Harden should defer, especially in the last two seasons? Chris Paul was out this year for a large period of time, and that's why I say you have to put these things within context. So, yes, these guys – and, 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 and this year, even if – let's say you, these guys played on the same team, Harden and Russ could still they, – they had – Russ's usage rate was lower than Harden's this year. So, yeah, they're, while they're both top ten guys, ones is higher than the others, you can still have that on the team. So I began to look through the records. I seen in 07-08, the San Antonio Spurs had three players in top 10 in usage rate. Manu, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker. 
The last time we seen what we're kind of seeing with James Harden and Russell Westbrook was Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. Dwayne Wade led the league in usage rate in 08, 09, and 09, and 10. And then when he got with LeBron, his usage rate dropped. So we've seen guys come together with high usage rates before and play well and win championships. The question about Houston is can they do that? And I think, obviously, they have the talent to do that. Westbrook and Harden, I believe, will figure it out. I actually, the more I looked up the usage rates and the his and, and who has what and how many t- how teams function within usage rate, um, the one year because uh, the okay, so Russ had a thirty eight point four in two thousand fourteen two thousand fifteen, but that was the year KD got hurt. He broke his foot, so of course his usage rate is going to go up because who else on the court can do what? Russell or KD can do so. Of course, his his product his his usage rate is going to go up. His productivity is going to go up. Then with KD back, it dropped back down to thirty one point six. KD's was a thirty point six. So it's not like Russ is going to have so much of the ball that he's going to not allow James Harden to be effective. Like I don't know how Russ got this stigma on him, and I don't like it. Uh, very frankly, now that I'm, you know, because we look at stats and we listen to guys who are supposed to know, and they know. But sometimes the right context isn't placed around these things. Because for the first year after KD left, Russell Westbrook didn't play with anybody. And he pretty much willed that team to the playoffs. He did. And then when he had Paul George, Paul George had his best statistical season playing with Russell Westbrook. Now, did they lose in the playoffs? Yeah, they did. But is that entirely about Westbrook? Is losing ever entirely about one player? Like, come on. I say no. I say no. So, yeah. I don't think Houston has much to worry about as far as... uh, that's, I mean, I don't think James Harden has much to worry about. Eric Gordon, he might have something to worry about. Because, I mean, Russell's going to shoot shots. And somebody's shots got to go. So, somebody's not going to get shots. And look like Eric Gordon, unless they can somehow get him onto the to the bench. If they can get Eagle Dollar or something and get him onto the bench. Then get him off six man. Then maybe he can get some more shots. But that's it. The problem in Houston is going to be Mike D'Antoni. That's going to be the problem in Houston. Because... As somebody who used to root for the Suns before I, you know, I left that, I left that alone. That was an abusive relationship. I got out of it. I just want to ask fellow my fellow NBA basketball fans: When has Mike D'Antoni ever, ever, ever won anything? When has his style ever won anything? And I get the NBA has kind of shifted more and has trended more towards a dance, a more D'Antoni-like philosophy as a whole, as a league, meaning more three-point shooting. Really, that's it. But D'Antoni still has not yet to embrace defensive principles. And as a Suns fan, as an ex-Suns fan, I'm sorry, I know firsthand the pain that can happen when your team has the offensive capabilities to win a championship, and yet the coach doesn't believe in defense. I don't know what about defense D'Antoni doesn't believe in enough, but he doesn't believe in it, as I guess, as much as he believes in offense. So he doesn't want to commit to it, and dynasties fall apart. Now, the Rockets were a good defensive team a couple years ago with Trevor Ariza, and they're trying to get uh, Andre Iguodala. And if they get Andre Iguodala, hey, that makes them a better defensive team because regardless of the of the of D'Antoni's philosophy or not, Iguodala's going to play defense. Russ is going to play defense. I think best-case scenario for Houston, uh, Russ kind of lets Harden take the offensive load a bit more than him. Hopefully, I don't know, but I think he will because I think that's what the trade kind of signifies. And he kind of, you know, can use more of his energy and his 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 uh, passion for the game in transition and playing defense, getting easy buckets in transition and playing defense. 
And then I think, uh, you know, if you, you're able to get Eagle Dollar, I think the Clippers are trying to get Eagle Dollar as well. If you're able to get Eagle Dollar, then, you know, you're a defensive force, kind of, sort of. Uh, with Capella, if whenever he wants to show up, which I'm out on Capella because he didn't show up in the uh, against Golden State. And he was talking about that chest saying he wanted to play Golden State. He didn't show up. So, anyway, back to Mike D'Antoni. Um, hold on one second. I'm going into the franchise index. I'm on basketball reference. Okay, so under Mike D'Antoni with the Phoenix Suns, they lost in the Western Conference Finals twice, the Western Conference Semis, and then the first round. So the best years under Mike D'Antoni were his first two years, and then from there, it just was downhill, and then he got fired because he didn't want to play defense. And since the Phoenix years, what has he done? The Houston years have been good, okay, because he has an exceptional talent in James Harden. And he puts the ball in James Harden's hands, and he says, go win us a game, James. And James, for the most part, you can do that with him. But when it all, what am I trying to say? When, it, when, when, when you, in the regular season, J- Mike D'Antoni teams are built for the regular season. And as you move, and as we all know as basketball fans, as you move into the playoffs, and the series format happens, and, and that guy's body starts to fatigue because they played 82 games, plus, you know, however many games they've played to whatever, up to the point of whatever series you're in. Guys are tired. The game is naturally going to take a slower pace. Guys are going to begin to pace themselves. Defense is going to be is going to naturally become getting played more because you know guys are going to be not as you know quick and agile and you know and trying to you know and so you need defense. You need to stop guys. Is basically my point. At the end of the day, you need to stop guys. And if D'Antoni is not able to stop guys, then if his if his team is not if if your team is not able to stop guys, then you can't win a championship. Like that's. Simple as plain, simple and plain, simple and plain. The D'Antoni Suns, let me, let's see. The D'Antoni Suns were 17th in defensive rating in 04, and they lost in the Western Conference Finals to the Spurs 4-1 the next season. They were 58, 54, and 28, finished first in the, the Pacific Division. Defensive rating 16th out of 30. So great offensive team, middle of the road defensive team. This is this is D'Antoni's best years. This is why this is what keeps him employed. They won in the Pacific Division again. They lost in the Western Conference Semis to the Spurs. Twenty third in defense. So if you don't play defense, if you don't play defense, you can't win championships. And Mike D'Antoni doesn't play defense. He doesn't want to commit to a spe- specific defensive philo- offensive philosophy either. Besides, give one guy the ball. And let's win. Let's try to win game. Let's just, let's let him win the game. And because of that, I believe that that's what's going to hold Houston back. Houston will be held back by their head coach. And if Daryl Morey and the new Frank Fertitta or whatever his new name is, the, the Houston Rockets owner, at the end of it all, when they look back years from now and they say, "Dang, we did all these analytics. Dang, we did this." Yes, the Chris Paul injury hurt you because the hamstring. You had you did have the Warriors beat. That's that's without a doubt. I mean, Iguodala was out too, but you did have the Warriors beat. Um, and the next year, you just your team just doesn't have it. I guess they don't have the heart, or and 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 Chris Paul just isn't what he used to be. Even though he had a good game the last game, so but so you so you trade and you get Russell Westbrook, which I think I personally believe is a good move because Russell Westbrook is younger. He's still in his prime. You know, he's faster up and down the court. He can he can play with pace. So he, I think it, it could be an added benefit to the team. I think. James Harden will get easier shots trailing trailing Russell Westbrook in transition, um, catching getting uh, catching spot up catching shoot threes. You know what I'm saying? So I think Harden, I think I think the chemistry 
can be there with with Westbrook as your primary ball handler and driving to the basket. Now the question is down the stretch, what happens? And the question is, how does D'Antoni coach them? And if he struggles to coach them, then of course they're not going to win a championship because you need a coach. You need a strong coach that's going to get them to play with each other and not opposite each other. They star opposite each other. They need to play with each other. And if they don't play with each other, then that's going to be a problem for the Houston Rockets. And then it's going to be the same thing, which I think that's what, and I think their coach is what keeps them a four or five seed this year, probably in this new revamped West. They're still going to be middle of the road and they're still probably going to be a second round exit. I don't think this makes Houston any better. I think Houston still has the potential like they did last year like they did the year before to be a lot like the Phoenix Suns to be a great team. But it's one, what offense does D'Antoni run? Does he try to run an offense? Two, does he make Russell Westbrook late in games defer to James Harden for shots and play with James Harden even though he'll still be the primary ball handler because Russell Westbrook will be the primary ball handler. And three, how good defensively can Houston be? Because if those three things don't fall in line or those things don't fall in line, then the Houston Rockets will be exactly what they were this past season and exactly what they were the season before. A team that could do it, but won't do it. And my bet is there'll be a team that won't do it because of D'Antoni. If they had a different coach, maybe so. And maybe I'm biased towards D'Antoni, but I mean I think the proof is in the I think the proof is in his coaching history. The guy has simply been a coach that rolls the ball out and says, you guys are the players. I just want you guys to shoot shots, shoot majority threes, take a lot of shots quick, play with pace. That seems like that's his only coaching style, and I don't like that because that's not a philosophy. It is a philosophy, but it's not an attacking philosophy, really. And you need to coach defense, man. You need to coach defense. So moving on. So with Russell Westbrook being traded to Houston, came the end very unspectacularly of an era in Oklahoma City. Of uh, Russell Westbrook He was the last one of You know those Really four stars When you think back Serge Ibaka Russell Westbrook Kevin Durant And James Harden And They went to the NBA Finals together And then after that The band kind of just broke up Like this is This has to be one Of the more confusing Breakups of a group of guys Like Like the Beatles kind of thing I didn't live through the Beatles Like that um, But I kind of get the feeling That when the Beatles broke up Like kind of everybody Was just kind of like like where'd that come from? Like hot, like huh? Like okay, uh, it kind of just kind of just happened. I'm assuming. I don't know. I didn't live through, but based off what I can understand, like internally they had a lot of strife. But people from the outside, like I'm sure the fans probably did predict like these guys are gonna break up and go solo. I think everybody was thinking you guys are still on the roll. You're still making good music, and the band broke up. They were just like, wow, okay. So I think that's kind of ha- kind of what happened to OKC. Like. The, we're looking at it. I remember, you know, I was stationed in Japan at the time, and I watch NBA games. And you're looking at it, and you see a young James Harden coming off the bench. You see young Russ. You see KD. You see Serge. Really, really, the guys I noticed back then were KD, Serge, and Harden. Those are the guys that stuck out to me. Russell didn't stick out to me until the NBA Finals when they went to the NBA Finals. And you see these guys, and you're like, yo, this is this is it. Like these guys right here are gonna win a championship. Like this is this is the makings of the next dynasty. They beat San Antonio. They went down 2-1 to San Antonio. That year, they went to the finals, and they came back, and they beat San Antonio. And they lost in the finals, but you're thinking, okay, but they still got KD. They still got Harden. They still got Westbrook. And then they let Harden go. And that was the first signal. I remember that when Harden got traded because they didn't want to pay him because they didn't want to go to luxury tax. And I'm thinking, wow, they just let go of a really, really good player. Now, did I think he was going to be MVP? No. I don't think I was even in tune with trying to predict things like that at that time. But I did think he was going to be a really good player. Like, I was like, yo, he's going to be really good. Now he has his own team. I was like, wow. And then, lo and behold, he's MVP. Dropped 36 and 6 this past year. 
vying for a championship. And so then they still had KD and Russ. And then KD and Russ, it's like it's like it seems like they they were star crossed. Because in my mind, even with Russ, KD still could have won. Like the the, Thund- the Thunder still should have won a championship with KD and Russ. And they let Serge go too as well, which was fascinating. Uh, they let Serge walk. I think they let Serge walk actually before they let Harden walk. Or they, no, they kept they kept Serge, and then they let Serge go after. But they still had Westbrook. They still had Westbrook and Harden, and I mean they still had Westbrook and KD and. They still were a really good team, but then Westbrook got hurt, and then KD got hurt, and then they played together, and they got to the Western Conference Finals, and then they lost 3-1. And if you look back on it, it's like, man, it seemed like it just wasn't really meant to be for those two guys. You know what I mean? Because a healthy KD and Westbrook, come on, that, that wins you a champion. That has to win you a championship. At some point, when you think back on what Westbrook was, a younger Westbrook was, and what, what he pretty much still is, and what KD is and was back then, I think a lot of people miss that. Those guys got hurt. Westbrook got hurt, and then KD got hurt, and that kind of threw off the balance of, you know, their kind of quest to become, you know, the next guys, and so um, then KD left, and then so West, Russ has been trying to find his way, and so it kind of just kind of deflated on you. You were very excited when you had the young crop of talent, I'm sure, as an OKC fan. I began to go, I remember I went to Atlanta Hawks game wearing OKC hoodie and hat because I was rude for KD because I liked the Thunder. I liked what they had going. I was like, this is it right here, and... Um, it kind of just, I don't know, it's like sand. It just seeped through Oklahoma City fans, thun, Thunders fans, and there's no diamonds, and there was no jewels, no gold, or no nothing. They just didn't find nothing. And now they're all gone, and Katie's went on to win two championships. Serge's won a championship, and now Russ and Westbrook are back together. And so they're on, they'll be on their quest to win a championship. Uh, I think a lot of what's going to, and going back to Houston, because I'm so fascinated, that's, I, that's one of the notes I wrote down when I watched and I heard got the news of the trade, I wrote down fascinated uh, to see Russell Harden play together, because the talent is there for these two guys, like, and I don't think anybody with any ounce of basketball acumen would deny the fact that the talent for Russ and Harden is there, the question is, how bad do they want to be great together and hoist their championship together, that becomes now the question. And does and does Russ want to win a chip, or does he just want to star and wear weird clothes and stuff like that in Houston? I think Russ wants to win a chip. I think so, me personally. I think Harden wants to win a chip. I think the process of learning to win is a lot like life, in the fact that you just have to learn, man. Like you just have to check yourself sometimes. You just have to grow through a process and learn through it and grow and 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 prioritize. You know what I mean? Because when you're young and you're a young basketball player, and a young person, and some of the things that you do and some of the things that you get. When you look back on your career, if you don't win championships, it was all ego-based. You win MVPs, um, you know a lot of things like young singles do or whatever the case may be, or just young people in general do. A lot of it is very ego-based, but then as you begin to, you know, fail, i.e. not win championships, begin to check yourself and and maybe you become more self-aware of who you are, your limitations as a person in real life or your limitations as a player on the court or in the field. You begin to fit into the team, and I think that's that's what I'm expecting to see from Russ. Best case scenario, that's what I think that you're going to see from Russ. Other than that, um, I think, like I said, there's still going to be a second round exit. So, that's it. That's all we have for today's show. I appreciate everybody out there for listening and who supports. Um, thank you. Uh, I'm going to keep doing this for y'all. I'll be back next Thursday. We're going to be talking about uh, the Manny Pacquiao fight. I'll be back. I ain't going to say Thursday. I'll be back 
later on this week. We talk about Manny Pacquiao fight, the lead up to Manny Pacquiao fight, and they're gonna start talking a little bit more NFL news because training camps are about to open. Uh, NFL is about to go down, and NFL is also perfect for drama too on a week to week basis. So thank you everybody for listening. As always, you can get the podcast on YouTube, uh, Stitcher Radio, Apple. For those of you, I know it's a big. A lot of people have iTunes and iPads and iPods and stuff, so you can subscribe to me on Apple. So if you have Apple, go ahead and subscribe now. If you're listening to this on YouTube, just subscribe now. I'm doing this uh, on a weekly basis, y'all. Got the sports news and life topics for y'all. Um, if you have any questions, you can you can get at me at Twitter, uh, DMC for President. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at DMC for President. And I'll just thank you. Uh, until next week, y'all. Peace. <laughs>